The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 78. This is Employment Law Now. I am your host, Mike Schmidt, the Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department at Cozen O'Connor. Well, I don't know any other way to say it better than to just say this is a heck of a year we have been having as Barbara Wall... Walters, and this is 2020. Walters used to put it, I guess I'm dating myself a little bit uh, with that pop culture clip, but, you know, I was planning to uh, sit here this weekend and record a new podcast episode to talk about a whole bunch of things, not necessarily COVID-19 related, that were going on in the world of employment law, just to get some folks updated on the other happenings uh, around the country. But before I had an opportunity to do that, uh, this past Friday afternoon, September 11th, 2020, uh, the United States Department of Labor issued really late in the day, right at the cusp of the weekend starting, a whole new temporary set of regulations on the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, the FFCRA, in direct response to the federal court decision about five weeks ago that struck down four components of the prior Department of Labor regulations. So I thought it was important to quickly get to all of you and let you know what the Department of Labor just did and where things now stand, at least on those issues that were at issue uh, in the regulations going forward. A little bit of background, again, just for those who are joining for the first time or just reading up and listening up on this issue for the first time, you will remember that back on March 18th, 2020, which seems like five years ago, President Trump signed the FFCRA, which contains two different components, the PSL, the paid sick leave, and the EFMLA, the Emergency Family Medical Leave Act Amendments in a statutory scheme that would go through December 31st, 2020. There are different uh, coverage aspects, leave entitlement aspects to both components, the PSL and the EFMLA, uh, and we've gone through much of that in prior podcast episodes. On April 1st, 2020, the Department of Labor issued its final regulations implementing the FFCRA, and about two weeks after that, on April 14th, 2020, the state of New York brought a federal court action under the Administrative Procedure Act in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, essentially claiming that the Department of Labor exceeded its authority when it came to four specific parts of the April 1st regulations and essentially that the Department of Labor, so the state of New York alleged, unduly restricted the paid leave schemes that Congress had enacted and President Trump had signed. 
Well, uh, again, as I said, just this past Friday on September 11th, the Department of Labor late in the day issued a new set of regulations that are now going to be effective this coming Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. Uh, It's a little bit difficult when you go back, and I know many of you have read the federal court decision uh, that came out, actually, as I said, five weeks ago on August 3rd, 2020. It's a little difficult in many places to discern precisely whether the court invalidated uh, portions of the regulations each time because the judge felt it was unlawful or simply because the judge felt that the Department of Labor did not adequately explain its reasoning for some of the regulations. And I think what the Department of Labor just did on Friday attempted to remedy what it thought the, the federal judge actually was doing. It's also very important to remember the timing and the procedural aspect of what we're fighting about. Remember that the current scheme, the current FFCRA, composed of the PSL and the EFMLA, that current scheme expires in a little over three months, at the end of this year, on December 31st, 2020. Congress has been talking over the past several weeks about extensions of the FFCRA. Uh, Maybe it would be a brief extension. Some have said that it may even extend the FFCRA through the entirety of 2021. We will see how the rest of this year goes. I suspect a lot of that will also depend on what happens with our presidential election come at the beginning of November. But for the moment, what we are fighting about and what we are talking about and what has now been revised is a scheme that is in effect from April 1st, 2020 through December 31st, 2020. So let's talk about the four things that the Department of Labor just did on September 11th. And out of the four components of the regulations, the Department of Labor, to put it simply, doubled down on two of them, stood firm on what it was trying to do, notwithstanding the federal judge's expressed concerns. With two of the four, the Department of Labor did make some revisions to appease the decision by the federal judge, but with the other two, again, doubled down and stood firm, re-emphasizing its regulations on the point, though perhaps providing additional rationale. So let's go through that um, just a little bit. The first one had to do with with, uh, work availability. Again, although it was not explicitly in the statute that was passed by Congress, the Department of Labor's April regulation stated that employees are not entitled to paid leave under the FFCRA if the employers did not otherwise have work for them. Again, their reasoning at the time was because the um, leave or the triggering event for leave would not be because of COVID-19 reasons. You can't take leave unless you were otherwise scheduled to work or unless the employer otherwise were, had work for you from which to take leave. You'll also remember that the federal judge engaged in a discussion based uh, on the meaning of terms because and due to. And the court rejected the notion at the time that an employee's inability to work had to be caused solely by one of the qualifying conditions in the PSL or the EFMLA. And therefore, the court held that the portion of the regulations exempting employees from being entitled to leave if they did not otherwise have work available to them was unreasonable and not entitled to deference. So this was one of those where the Department of Labor on Friday, September 11th, did double down and stand firm 
uh, on its belief that the FFCRA only entitles employees to leave if they had work from their employer from which to take leave. In its new regulations, the Department of Labor says that this position is in fact consistent with Supreme Court precedent and principles under the previously existing FMLA. The Department of Labor interpreted the terms because and due to as meaning but for. And the Department of Labor says that the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, has in fact interpreted the concept of but for to mean that an act is not but for cause of an event if the event would have occurred even in the absence of the act. In other words, again, if there is no work for an individual to perform due to circumstances other than a qualifying reason for leave, then the person could not be, or the qualifying reason could not be, but for the reason for the employee's inability to work. If there is some other reason why the employee is not able to work, such as the employee is being furloughed, or there is some other reason why that employee can't work other than one of the enumerated qualifying reasons, then the qualifying reason in the Department of Labor's opinion could not be the but-for reason that the employee is is unable to work, and therefore the employee should not be entitled to leave. In its new regulations, the Department of Labor went out of its way to talk about how it is providing this additional rationale. It says, quote, after considering the district court's conclusion that the statute does not necessarily require the traditional result, the department continues to believe that the traditional meaning of because and due to as requiring but for causation is the best interpretation of the FFCRA leave provisions in this context. The department's continued application, it goes on to say, of the work availability requirement is further supported by the fact that the use of the term leave in the FFCRA is best understood to require that an employee is absent from work at a time when he or she would otherwise have been working. In a nod to this notion of whether an agency like the Department of Labor should be afforded appropriate deference, and that was an issue that the federal judge did talk about in its August 3rd decision, the Department of Labor uh, sort of artfully states in its new regulations that it is basing this in significant part on, quote, its experience administering and enforcing other mandatory leave requirements. And based on that experience which, without saying it, is really the Department of Labor suggesting to this federal judge or any other judge that takes the issue up that we, the Department of Labor, are entitled to the appropriate deference. Based on that experience, the Department of Labor, quote, interprets the FFCRA as allowing employees to take paid leave only if they would have worked, if not for the qualifying reason for leave. Leave is most simply and clearly understood as an authorized absence from work. If an employee is not expected or required to work, he or she is not taking leave. And the Department of Labor continued its explanation, trying to provide the added rationale that it believes the federal judge had wanted, by saying that removing a work availability requirement and essentially allowing a greater number of individuals to have paid leave, even if they were not scheduled to work, The Department of Labor states in its regulations that removing that requirement would not serve 
one of the FFCRA's purposes, which is to discourage employees who may be infected with COVID-19 from going to work. If there is no work to perform, there would be no need to discourage potentially infected employees from coming to work through the provision of paid FFCRA leave. The department also states that removing this work availability requirement would also lead to what it refers to as perverse results. It gives the example that if an employer closes its business and furloughs its workers, none of the employees who are on furlough are going to be paid during the closure or the furlough period because obviously there's no paid work to perform. However, the Department of Labor says that if you have an employee that also happens to have a qualifying reason under the paid sick leave or the emergency FMLA provisions, even when there is no work, you could have this perverse result where that individual could potentially for many weeks be entitled to paid leave under the FFCRA, even though his or her co-workers who are on the same furlough or who have similarly been suffering from the same work closure but don't have a qualifying event they would not be paid. The Department of Labor states that it, quote, does not believe Congress intended such an illogical result, end quote. So on this work availability issue, we are back to where we were in April. The Department of Labor believes that the federal judge was simply asking for more of a rationale, and the Department of Labor, just this past Friday, September 11th, appears to have provided that additional rationale, but the bottom line is, as it stands right now with the new regulations, you are only entitled to FFCRA leave if you have a qualifying event, and if the qualifying event is the but-for reason why you need leave. If there is another reason, such as the employer did not have work for you, or you were not otherwise scheduled to work, you are not entitled to FFCRA leave, even if you also happen to have a qualifying event. The second issue goes to the definition of healthcare provider under the law. And here, the Department of Labor decided to agree or give back to the federal judge what the federal judge wanted it to. You'll remember in the August 3rd federal decision, the court found that the statute that Congress passed was unambiguous in foreclosing the Department of Labor's ability to provide a more expansive definition of the term healthcare provider. Under the statute, employers have the um, right in its discretion to exempt healthcare providers from those who are entitled to take leave, even if they may have a qualifying event. The court invalidated in August the Department of Labor's broad definition of healthcare provider for purposes of the PSL and the EFMLA, and the Department of Labor on Friday, as I said, revised its regulation based on the federal judge's ruling to limit the definition to those probably that make more sense when you're really thinking about it. The department states in its new regulations, quote, after careful consideration of the district court's order, End quote. It was revising the definition of healthcare provider for purposes of this optional exclusion of healthcare providers from FFCRA leave. So now we're going back to, or we're going to, what the federal judge really thought that Congress intended. That is to focus on the roles and the duties of the employees rather than the employers. 
In other words, just because you have a janitor or an English professor who is technically employed by a university or an institution that also provides healthcare services through a hospital, does not mean that those individuals who have no connection to the provision of healthcare services should be allowed to uh, be exempted from the leave requirements. So the Department of Labor and its new regulations, as I said, now focuses back on the roles and duties of the employees, not on the employer. So employers now under these new regulations have the right to exempt only those persons who directly provide diagnostic, preventative, or treatment services, and who otherwise provide services that are integrated with and necessary to the provision of patient care. The third of the four issues that have been revised, here too the Department of Labor has stood firm, and that is on the issue of whether employers are required to give their consent before employees are entitled to take intermittent leave. Remember in the April 1st regulations, the first round, the Department of Labor stated that intermittent leave, as opposed to continuous leave, can only be used for certain types of qualifying conditions, and then only if both the employer and the employee agree. While the court, in its August 3rd decision, agreed with the Department of Labor that intermittent leave should only be available for those qualifying events where there is not an increased risk of spreading COVID-19, such as when a school or place of care is unavailable. Where the court had the problem was where the Department of Labor initially required employer consent for intermittent leave. And here, again, the Department of Labor appears to take the position that, while the federal court just wanted us to provide additional rationale, we're otherwise going to stand firm on this employer consent requirement. In fact, in its new regulations Friday, the Department of Labor started off this section right off the bat rather confidently by stating, quote, the department reaffirms the April 1st temporary rules position that employer approval is needed to take intermittent leave and explains the basis for this requirement which is consistent with long-standing FMLA principles governing intermittent leave. Now the Department of Labor noted a few things that I think is worth mentioning here. It reminds the district court that even the court acknowledged that since Congress did not address intermittent leave at all in the FFCRA, it is therefore precisely the sort of statutory gap that the Department of Labor's broad regulatory authority empowers it to fill, end quote. And the Department of Labor in its new regulations goes through a, a fairly detailed analysis as to first why intermittent leave is still only appropriate for those qualifying events under the FFCRA that do not correlate to a higher risk of spreading the virus. And then it goes to this issue of employer consent. Noting expressly in its new regulations that the district court held that the DOL did not adequately explain the rationale for that requirement, the Department of Labor states, after reconsideration, the department affirms its earlier interpretation with additional explanation. First, the Department of Labor states that employer approval of intermittent leave uh, is appropriate in the context of FFCRA intermittent leave requirements. 
When intermittent leave, in other words, is not required for medical reasons, the Department of Labor states that the FMLA, the pre-existing FMLA, balances the employee's need for leave with, on the other hand, the employer's interest in avoiding business disruptions by requiring agreement by the employer for the employee to take intermittent leave, which the department states the pre-existing FMLA prior to COVID-19 already recognized. Importantly, it states the department's FFCRA regulations already provide that employees may telework only where the employer permits or allows. Since employer permission is a precondition under the FFCRA for telework, the department believes it is also an appropriate condition for teleworking intermittently due to a need to take FFCRA leave. So again, let's be clear. When we're talking about the six reasons, the six qualifying events under the PSL portion of the FFCRA, we are not allowing still intermittent leave to be taken for the first four where an individual is subject to a quarantine or isolation order, where the individual has been advised by the healthcare provider to self-quarantine, where the individual is experiencing symptoms and seeking medical diagnosis, or when an individual is caring for another individual who's also subject to a quarantine or isolation order, or who has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine. Those reasons you would be increasing the potential for the spread of COVID-19 if you allow employees to use leave intermittently and go back and forth between the work site and working from home. In the one instance, under qualifying event number five for the PSL, which is the only qualifying event under the EFMLA, which is when an individual needs to care for a child whose school or place of care has been closed or is unavailable, there is no spread of COVID-19 that is likely. Therefore, intermittent leave is available, and the Department of Labor still believes that the employer is entitled and obligated to give its consent before such leave is given. But there's one other thing that I want to point out that was really uh, interesting to me in the regulations, and it was an example that the Department of Labor provided, particularly in the school closure context. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if this is challenged by New York State or in some other lawsuit. But what the department's saying is, let's take the example of a hybrid school closure. So, for example, in a particular week, the school states that on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the employee's child is not able to come to school, effectively making it closed on those days. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the employee's child is able to go to school, thereby making school open. What the Department of Labor has stated is that each day of the school closure, so the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, constitutes each a separate reason for FFCRA leave that ends when the school opens the next day. In other words, on Monday when the school is closed to that employee's child, that is a qualifying reason for leave that ends the next day when school is open for that child. And then when Wednesday comes, that is now a new qualifying event to perhaps trigger the need for leave. So by defining each day of closure separately, as a separate qualifying event, the Department of Labor is saying we're not talking about intermittent leave because each day is its own qualifying event 
for leave. The Department of Labor contrasts that with a situation where a school may be closed to all students for five straight days, and the employee only needs or wants to take leave for two of those five days, that would be one qualifying event for which the employee is seeking to take intermittent leave for that one qualifying event. Because of that, the Department of Labor believes that it has, quote, aligned the employer agreement requirements to apply to both telework and intermittent leave from telework, and it believes that its approach, quote, affords both employers and employees flexibility, end quote. So that's where we are. The um, Department of Labor has similarly doubled down and stood firm on the intermittent leave obligation. The last of the four components that were really impacted by these new regulations is the documentation requirement. And here, too, um, the Department of Labor essentially gave the federal judge what he had asked for. You will remember that there were two aspects of the documentation requirement that were at issue in the lawsuit. The Department of Labor's original April 1st rule provided that employees were required to give certain information and documentation prior to and as a condition for taking FFCRA leave. While the court, in its August 3rd decision, did not have any problem with the documentation and information that the Department of Labor said employees were required to give, the court did have a problem with the timing aspect of it, saying that the Department of Labor exceeded its authority by making the provision of the documentation and information a condition to first taking leave. So in its revised regulations this past Friday, September 11th, the Department of Labor revised its regulations based on that portion of the federal judge's decision, now stating and confirming that an employee must give the employer the required information and documents, quote, as soon as practical, end quote, rather than prior to and as a condition of taking leave. The regulations do say that uh, as a practical matter, in most cases, that will still be done and need to be done when the employee provides notice, but the new regulations are no longer requiring, per se, that the information and documentation be given prior to and as a condition for taking leave. So there we are. There we are. We have the April 1st Department of Labor regulations. We've got the April 14th federal lawsuit by New York State. We've got the August 3rd, 2020 decision by the federal judge. And now we've got the September 11th, 2020 revised regulations. To sum up on the four points, number one, the Department of Labor is still requiring there to be work available for an individual who has a qualifying event to be entitled to FFCRA leave. Number two, the Department of Labor has agreed with the federal judge to revise the definition of health care provider to include only those people who directly provide diagnostic, preventative, or treatment services or who otherwise provide services that are integrated with and necessary to the provision of patient care. Number three, the Department of Labor has stood firm and continues to require that when intermittent leave is available, both the employer and the employee have to agree. And then number four, the Department of Labor 
has given what the federal judge asked for, and that is to eliminate the prior to and as a condition of requirement when they give uh, information and documentation supporting a request for leave, saying now that employees only have to give that as soon as practical. So where are we? There's a lot here, and as Barbara Walter said, yes, this is 2020. It's been a heck of a year. What do we do now? There were so many questions before. The Department of Labor took five weeks, remember, from the August 3rd decision to decide what it was going to do. Some people were suggesting that they were going to appeal to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Some said they weren't going to do anything and just take the position that this was one federal court in one jurisdiction taking this position. Others felt that it would do as it ended up doing five weeks later on September 11th, and that is issuing revised regulations. But it was unclear whether they would still stand pat or whether they would change some of their positions. And as we've seen of the four issues at issue, the Department of Labor has stood firm on two of the four and has revised the other two. With regard to the two that they have stood firm on, the work availability and the intermittent leave consent issue, I do believe that those are probably the two more important of the four components that were really attacked in the federal court decision. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But some takeaways and some questions. Obviously, employers around the country, let alone uh, in the New York area that's um, within the jurisdiction of the Southern District of New York, there are a lot of questions. How are attorneys advising companies to act? How are companies supposed to act? We now have a new set of regulations that are presumably applicable across the country because they are issued by the United States Department of Labor. But on the two issues where the Department of Labor has stood firm and not revised based on the federal decision, where are those regulations applicable? Should employers around the country now base their conduct on these revised regulations? Or should they still be concerned about the federal court decision? Did the federal court decision say on those two issues where the Department of Labor stood firm that we have a problem with them per se? Or did the federal judge simply say we were not getting enough of a rationale from the Department of Labor? Again, the federal court decision still does not have a national injunction in place There still has not been any um, definitive discourse as to the scope of that New York federal decision. Will the state of New York file a new motion in that action on the two issues where the Department of Labor has continued to stay firm? Will there be another state in another jurisdiction, in another court that files another lawsuit where another federal judge elsewhere in the country will have to take up these issues, and will that judge agree with the New York federal judge? Will this be something where the United States Supreme Court ultimately has to step in? 
Once again, as I said the last time when talking about the August 3rd federal court decision, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. The federal judge acted, and now the Department of Labor has responded. You really need to talk with counsel about your particular situation in your particular jurisdiction to determine whether you as an organization will follow the federal courts or the Department of Labor's new regulations on the work availability question and on the intermittent leave consent question before taking some type of action in response to an employee request for leave. But keep it right here. We will continue to uh, keep you updated on what is going on. I suspect that the next step will be further motion in the New York action and or the filing of another lawsuit somewhere else. And as soon as either or both happen, we will update you further on this podcast. As always, I really appreciate you listening. If you have any questions, any comments about the podcast or about topics you'd love to hear on the podcast going forward, please email me at mschmidt at cozen.com. Appreciate all the feedback and the comments that I have gotten to date. I hope you, your families, and your colleagues continue to stay healthy and safe. And until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.